the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam speaking from very hot summer Tokyo. (laughs) And yeah, this podcast is a celebration of all things Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan being me and the man himself being Adam Terrell. Hot, hot, hot. I can say, speaking of fans, I wish I had one in the uh, in the office right now. <laughs> what are you Keep talking cool. about? I'm in I'm in Tokyo. It's, it's 36 <laughs> degrees here, and I had to close my window because we're recording at a time where they're playing football next door. So I closed my window, and I'm stuck in this steamy room with no fan, and and uh, and otherwise we'd be hearing people screaming goal in the background every two minutes or, or whenever they scored. So uh, it's a lot hotter here than it is. Uh, but I, how hot is it? Is it in in London? Or, no, oh, no, it's, in it's nothing. It's not that big at all, man. Like we're, we're about twenty six degrees at the moment. It's a heat wave for the UK. No, no, I know. <laughs> well, so yeah, I went. Um, my family we went to a on our holiday to uh, Parma in Mallorca at the start of the month, and um, yeah, it got to thirty one degrees there, and we were just melting. Um, <laughs> so I feel your pain. Although I did look, I, I did a long run on the weekend, and I logged into Strava, and I saw you did a you did a half marathon in 36 degrees the other day i was like bloody hell it did and i I went into a cold bath afterwards for about 40 minutes or so it was a bit hot but you know once you get used to it i mean i ran again today in that heat and uh you know i think the problem is is you know if you use air conditioning a lot and you try to do things like that then it does feel really hot but if you do what i do which uh, my wife doesn't like but i uh i don't use the air conditioning and then uh i keep the house quite warm and then when i go out running (laughs) i don't feel, feel it as much but um you know, it's all you know, contrasting and, and comparing to to other other things. But uh, you know, like you said, if you're coming from from a, a, a cooler climate and then you go into a 31 degrees and then try to run in that, uh, it's the same thing. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I lived in Australia for a long time, maybe six, seven years. Um, but I remember when I first moved over there, um, because summer and winter is flipped over there. So their summer is in you know November, December time. Um, so I got there. Um, in our summer, so their winter, and it felt like a, just a normal day in England, but everyone over there was shivering cold, you know, so I was out in shorts at 10 p.m. at night uh, <laughs> in the height of winter, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, what have you been up to, man? Like, what you, what's been going on with you since we last spoke a month ago? What I've just been preparing the, the Obayashi set, mostly. Um, you oh, know, cool. it's quite a, quite a, lot, of, a lot of work involved, uh, and um and other than that yeah just uh, I'm, I'm moving house on friday to uh somewhere that the winters are really uh, super cold apparently they're they're minus 10 degrees and worse every day so uh that's gonna i'm men- mentally preparing for that but at the time right now just getting used to uh this tokyo blistering heat and, and getting ready for our talk on uh, tokyo blistering heat summer films <laughs> that obashi box is going to be sick but um yeah, one of the one of the films is the girl who leapt through time, isn't it? Which I guess we're going to talk about later. Yeah, time travel, and and also obviously the island uh, closest to heaven is quite a, uh, a summer film itself. So um, you know, uh, and and his and motorbike, his motorbike her yeah, island, yeah, that's oh, quite amazing. a. I watched all of them again the other day just to check the subtitles and such, and uh, yeah, they're all quite uh, quite different and unique uh, in their own ways. Uh, 
but his motorbike I hadn't seen for a long time and it's yeah Takuchi Riki is just like so he's just amazing isn't he I love that film I think I told you I, I kind of went into it not knowing what to expect and just as it washed over me I was just more and more just in love with it I just think that film's amazing it's really just fun I mean it's just B, B movie isn't it like uh, yeah. you know it's it's just fun and, and, and short I mean I, you know when I, we're going you know the recent Obayashi films the three films of, of Hanagatami and that you know they were like three hours long and then <laughs> yeah. you know going looking at it like it's 80s uh, films it's like oh the work's a lot easier when they're in the 90 minutes each a hundred percent. Yeah. If I see a film that's 90 minutes these days, I'm so happy. Um, yeah. So like on my end, I've been doing a Kinji Fukasaki, um, like dive into his filmography. Cause apart from like, you know, battle Royale and a couple of his big ones, um, I'd realized I hadn't seen hardly any of them. And, uh, yeah, they're Got really good. Have you, have you seen like the battles without honor and humanity? The saga, oh, for- there's like eight of them. Yeah, for sure. But I haven't seen them in, in a bloody long time. I mean, probably the last time I saw them was when uh, when Eureka put them out on DVD. And it was like they were really terrible quality uh, back when Eureka, <laughs> before Eureka was like was like this uh, very, very, you know, stylist masters of cinema company. They used to put out awful releases of great films. And um, that's probably the last time I saw them at all. I mean, uh, when I first saw them, it was probably, you know, uh, I was a teenager or something. So but but I wish I was was go looking at them again now because you know when you watch a film like blood of wolves you know when you're watching uh, contemporary films and you you do you know pine back to that period of when they all came from and, and when you watch those original films like how much better the, they are than any other films nowadays uh i mean yeah they're, they're amazing yeah totally or like you know kitano's outrage trilogy and stuff like that you can see where they've taken all the ideas from for sure um, for sure yeah, well, so I, you know, I watched the first five, so the Battles Without Honor series, where uh, it's Bunta Sugawara playing, I think it's a, it's a Shozo Hirono, um, and they were just epic. And then I took a break from because there's there's the new battles. I took a break from that for a bit um, and went into his other stuff, and I found Virus from 1980. Ah. Which, <laughs> oh man, that fucking film. I loved it, but it was just so bleak. Um, and it was just like this huge disaster epic, like kind of like a Roland Emmerich film, you know, like the day after tomorrow or something. Um, but yeah, really cool. And then I watched uh, Fall Guy, which was... Ah, that's a great film, isn't it? Yeah. It's amazing. I was like, this is like Stephen Chow levels of like <laughs> physical comedy, but then it gets kind of super serious at the back end and and gets really dramatic and stuff. So that was awesome. Um and I checked out, uh, it's called Black Lizard, which is kind of like this campy ah. kind of spy espionage with, with thingy. Mishima, Mishima Yukio's in that, isn't he? Isn't, isn't he like the, the, if I remember correctly? It was the, yes. isn't it the sequel to Black Rose Mansion, I believe. Uh, one, oh one, of the, one of the two had, had Mishima Yukio. I could be wrong. I mean, I'm trying to delve into my, the background of, of the back... Uh, parts of my brain that haven't been accessed in many years but i believe that, that, that that's it i think the big pull was it was akihiro miwa who um um i think was uh, got famous as, as uh, a drag act in, in japan um so they were playing black lizard who's like this this international jewel thief and yeah it was so cool i really, really, really like that too so then i was like well this is insane like he does so much more than i thought i knew of him because so i thought he just did yakuza films and then battle royale <laughs> basically um 
But then there's a load of other kind of crime stuff that he did on the side that I watched. So like Sympathy for the Underdog was mm. amazing. Like probably my favorite that I've seen this month. Um, he did uh, Cops versus Thugs, which was cool. Um, a really, really cool one was Sonny Chiba called Doberman Cop. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was based on a manga, I believe. But that one really, I loved that one. It was so cool. Um, Street Mobster was another one. But yeah, and then obviously the new battles. So it's it's been a crazy month again, but um, really That's enjoyable. a fun month. That's a fun month for sure, I tell you. I mean, I mean, I think I did about the same when I first got into him, you know, when I was a teenager or so, and I just watched everything back one after another. And uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that wasn't literally released on VHS and by like Janus Films and then like on DVD by like Home Video Entertainment, I believe that the company were in America. And uh, I was just, yeah, just watching everything i could find because they were all so amazing all his films it's a pity like his son becomes his son's such a shit director you know uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a pity because you know all that i i mean i guess it's always hard to you know to follow live up, uh, yeah, yeah. Live up to your parents for sure it's uh, just yeah, not be a film director for fuck's sake i mean like if you're gonna make that shit but i guess you know it's like the toei studios you know especially you know when his father died before he made battle rail 2 and it's like well let's just put the son in and then let's You've got the Fukusaka name, so let's keep the sun going with it. But it was just shit after shit. And uh, I don't think he's made anything in the world, to be honest. Thank God. I, I didn't see anything else <laughs> other than Battle Royale 2. Because um, I think he wrote the screenplay for Battle Royale 2 as well, didn't he, his son? Possibly. Um, but, you know, he did things like X-Cross. Um, I think he did the Yo-Yo Girl remake, the Super Bandaka remake, if, if I remember correctly. But um, he did a bunch of yeah, pretty crap stuff that was all released, actually, like in, in the UK on dvd by companies like optimum and um for digital entertainment you know when the sort of j horror boom was that it's 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 not peak uh, on its way down after the peak but um yeah he did get out there with his name but um he just didn't make anything that that decent to be honest yeah sure well yeah so i'm going to top off the like i've been calling it kinchi fukusaku june so i'm going to finish it with the original battle royale because i've seen it countless times but it's just a classic um I think though, so I did Takashi Miike May and then Kinchi Fukusaku June. I think I'm going to chill out in July and maybe do, um, I don't know, Hirokazu Koreeda maybe. (laughs) (laughs) 180. Yeah, exactly. I just need it, man. I feel like, yeah, I close my eyes and I see gunshots at the moment. Um, (laughs) So I need something chill. But anyway, which brings us nicely around to this because when you kindly sent me uh, the film we're covering this month, um i was so excited and it's one of those things that when i was putting the disc in the in my playstation i was like i'm too excited for this i need to calm down because you know if you go in too too hyped you know a film lets you down um but it it did the opposite i was so impressed with this one i thought it was really funny uh really sweet but then like actually had some quite surprising and cool things to do with with time travel that I don't really think has been done anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, and it's a pity it's taken so long to really get out there. I mean, that's all, obviously, I mean, I talk about this a lot, but it's a problem with the studios and how hard it is to work with the studios. And uh, this film itself took a long time to negotiate. And I had to push uh, Ueda Makoto, the writer and the creator of the film, and the people around him to really get the studio, to push the studios on the back end, like I've done in the past with, like, uh, the Toyota films and such, you know, it, 
without the, the directors and the producers' help, I mean, they're the people who made the film, but without their help, it's it's almost impossible for me to negotiate with a studio that owns the rights to the film. And um, But just coincidentally, you know, there's this, this Australian company called Chameleon Films that are putting the film out as well, also um, next month or, or, or around that time. So it's taken... Uh, uh, more than 15, yeah, 15 years, uh, yes, more than 15 yeah, yeah, years yeah. to get out there. And then out, yeah. yeah, and then out of uh, out of nowhere, like two releases come out in the same month. Um, but uh, well, that, that's oh, how it goes. I just assumed you guys were kind of doing it in tandem, like what you did with Era 444. No, it was a coincidence, actually. They had, I had been speaking to Chameleon. I think they were just asking, they got in touch uh, and were asking if you'd like to do some some projects together like I had done with Era 444 or just some other questions in general and then I mentioned like oh I've got this film Summertime Machine Blues coming out and they're like oh, oh shit we've got it coming out too uh, but unfortunately not unfortunately for them unfortunately for, for, for me is that a lot of the extra features that I made were are exclusive to, to my release because they couldn't uh, they, weren't, they weren't allowed to be used on any other releases of the film um, so it's quite a interesting release because the release that I've got I, I, I've got out is um, is more focusing on Ueda Makoto and Europe Kikaku, who are the people who made Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. So, like, because of all the work I've done with them, I was able to get all these like the original because it was originally a play, and the original play is on the on the, or part of the original player on the disc. So it's a, I think it's a really uh, a, a really interesting release to be honest. Yeah, I agree. I think the extras were awesome as well. Um, do you know what extras are on the Chameleon one then, or are they, is that under wraps? They have. They also have an interview with uh, Ueda Makoto, who was. Um, who, but it's it's a different interview, uh, apparently, to, to the interview that I I made the interview <laughs> myself, uh, and I thought because initially, like I had asked them, uh, the, the 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 studio who made the film to give. They had loads of extras, like the um. There's a special edition that was released in Japan that is like just full of extras on DVD, and it's a fantastic release. And they wouldn't allow me to use any of them, so I interviewed um Ueda Makoto myself uh with my own shit shit quality uh camera uh actually this time I bought a, a good camera for the release and there's this very strange setting where the lights in Japan are like at a different megahertz or hertz than like other uh, lights in other countries and if you don't have like <laughs> the shutter speed I only learned this after I made that that interview that the shutter speed that needs to be corrected to match the lights in Japan. And if you don't, it has like a flickering effect. And oh. I, uh, so, so if you see the, my, my, my interview with him, it has this sort of flickering effect that um, I've now learned that was the reason for it because it took a lot of time uh, troubleshooting to realize why this, this situation arose. Uh, but um, yes, apart from that, uh, it's an interesting interview with him. And uh, yeah, they have another interview with him. And they actually, there was a commentary for the Japanese uh, Blu-ray with, with um, the director, Motohiro Katsuyuki, and um, him, with Makoto. But I tried to do the subtitles for it and use it initially. It wasn't that interesting of a commentary, to be honest. Um, it was neither interesting nor was it easy to translate uh, because both of them have very similar accents, uh, and I, it's hard to tell when one person speaks and the other person, one person ends and the other person speaks. So I, I just made new extras instead. But they're using that that commentary in the in the Australian release. So if you want the commentary alongside of everything else, you have to buy both releases, I guess. Hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's definitely an art to doing the commentary, right? The audio commentary. Um, and if it's just two guys that are kind of talking... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> without any kind of focus it, it can be a bit muddled i guess yes yeah, so obviously you and i have uh, have spoken about the trying to do a commentary but uh <laughs> it's a lot easier to say than it actually is to do i mean i do have a lot of respect for people like uh, tom mez uh when he does his commentary because it's it's very hard to speak for uh, 90 minutes obviously you have the visual running at the same time but to have new new interesting points for every scene you know you, you may yeah. start off well if, you, if you're speaking but uh you know you could easily fall off uh, a cliff uh, to be honest and then <laughs> you know well, the audience you is gonna I, be stuck i think if you and i did it it'd probably be more anecdotal and more like ah oh, this reminds me of dot 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 rather than having actual <laughs> educational or studied uh points or maybe are. we can try uh at some point yeah for sure maybe with a very short film uh, yes. maybe we beyond do, the info two minutes <laughs> or or the next toyota uh <laughs> ah yeah to 12 minutes is a perfect oh did you actually sorry to like we're, we're jumping all over the place but did you watch that yet yes toyota? um the new toyota it's it's uh, 16 minutes but four minutes of that at the end roll so it's uh it's uh in essence 12 minutes uh, uh starts off with one long shot of um key interrupting a festival like uh and selling and yelling at the top of his lungs like are you alive like uh are you really alive and and it's and that's um that's sort of it actually uh it's key as the lead yelling actually lots of people uh, uh telling them like are, are you alive uh, and it's 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 yeah it's very similar to, to the others it's all obviously in the same location on the same stairs and uh and uh but this time i think I don't think he's going to release this in cinemas like he did with the other ones. I think they've got an event on July the twenty uh, fourth, which is the same date every year that he has his new film, and yeah. uh, in Shibuya, a place called the WWW. Uh, if you happen to be in Tokyo in the end of July, anybody who's listening, um, if you if you can get a ticket, uh, it's uh, Toyota showing this film and having all the bands that are usually associated with his films uh, playing on stage, like Seppuku Pistols will be there, of, of course, and. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a very wild event. Awesome. Yeah, I've been following Seppuku Pistols on Instagram and they've got some really cool stuff they've been posting recently. Yeah, they're mental. I think they have, they, have, they have a documentary out, out that uh, about them which played in like Chicago, um, at like some sort of like Chicago Japanese film festival. So I believe there is an English subtitled documentary about them that uh, is being played here and there. Awesome. I can't wait. Okay, let's get back to Summertime Machine Blues then. <laughs> so yeah, we covered that I love this film. It's going to be a surprise to no one because every single film we talk about on here I tend to love. But um, yeah, I going into it knowing about the links to Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, uh, I was really intrigued to see what it was. And yeah, I just fucking loved it. So as you mentioned, it's directed by Katsuyuki Motohiro. Um, and I looked into him a bit. And so he's best known probably... Um, to our audience, as he did the Psycho Pass movie, the anime movie. Um, he also did live-action manga adaptations of Bayside Shakedown. That's one that was really popular, I think. Um, he also did a couple of belated sort of reboot calls, they call them now, to this anime series called FLCL. Again, you're not really a fan of anime, are you? So you probably don't follow all of that. No, no, but I, oh, he is a massive director. I mean, he's a pretty nice guy on top of it, but he only makes like manga adaptations or TV spin-offs, and that's why he's not really well known outside of Japan because a lot of his films are to do with like big 
big TV shows. I mean, the Baseball Shakedown was a TV show. Most of everything is a TV show where it's a big manga spin-off, and they're all huge. I mean, Summertime Machine Blues is like his personal like play film, while everything else he does is just like massive big. Uh, but if I remember correctly, I think he did Space Travelers as like as like yes. one of his first. Yeah, 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 yeah that's a fantastic. Uh, sm- not not slightly small uh film but also handled by the by the studios and i think that's one of his uh best films other than uh summertime machine blues nice because i was gonna say like he's been making films since around 1996 and like it just looks like there's loads of genres he played in you know like comedy and action and sci-fi and he did a couple of martial arts films and i, I even saw a couple of like straight up dramas in his filmography it's so, a studio um, director making big studio films, but they're not that yeah. good, to be honest. Uh, Baseball Shakedown's <laughs> quite fun, uh, but but like any studio Japanese film, I mean, they're pretty shit, to be honest, and they they, <laughs> they, they don't get out there for a variety of reasons. I mean, one is because uh, they're handled by studios, which are hard to negotiate. But if they were like, if it was a really really good film, even if it was handled by the studios, like film festivals would want to play it, and a lot of film festivals don't play his films because they're not terribly that good. I mean, you know, mm. Japanese studio films tend to. Uh, look a bit shit uh, for all the budget they have and they tend to have shit actors in them because they're all like uh, idols and, and and models and all that and uh but but you know that that's that's a job i guess uh you know he, he's a he's a nice guy i had him uh take part in some talk events that we did for like low life love and uh love and other cults and he's an interesting guy and and you know i think summertime machine blues is like yeah it's, it's his just sort of like personal like fun film uh but it's less of hit a film by him than it is it is like a a, a Ueda. Ueda makoto film yes yeah for sure um well yeah let's go on to ueda then so again best known to our audience as the writer of beyond the infinite two minutes but I actually, I, I really appreciate his work. He did, uh, he wrote some of um, Masaki Yuasa's anime projects. So uh, Night is Short, Walk On Girl um, is amazing. That's on Netflix at the moment. Um, just this really cool anime. And uh, Tatami Galaxy, um, which actually, interestingly enough, I didn't know this until I started looking into it, but he also wrote, there's an upcoming sequel to Tatami Galaxy and it's called Tatami Time Machine Blues. Yeah. um so that's clearly a reference to this film directly right oh for sure i mean this is the most uh his his most well-known film so and it was their their play that made them very famous this uh so he runs this company called europe kikaku which is a, a theater um a theater troupe and their breakthrough hit was the the play summertime machine blues and it was a really big hit and it put his name and everyone else on the map and it also got this uh motohiro director uh wanting to to make it into a, a film because he was so enamored by the play itself uh but he's he's yeah he's quite a a a, a geek super super geek guy um <laughs> like he used to be a, a computer programmer so he writes scripts especially time travel scripts with like a the way that he he always explains is that like you know to make sure there's no errors because if you're writing a program like if there's one line wrong somewhere it, it crashes the whole program so he writes yeah. scripts especially time travel things it's he writes it meticulously so there's there's nothing that can contradict or make an error within within it that's why he's at the forefront of like these um time travel films in Japan i think like he's the only one who really makes uh, good ones do you know what as what well, like I, one of our followers um message to say that they were going to avoid this episode of the podcast until they'd seen the film because they're very sensitive to spoilers um and it made me think you know actually we do talk quite openly about these films and and 
often before they've actually come out in the UK. Um, so I'll be very careful about how we talk about the plot with this one. But um, yeah, one of the things I love about this film is how it kind of uh, talks about the paradoxes head on. So it kind of it sets itself up to kind of say, yeah, we know that there's holes in this, but here's how we get around it. And um, it was just really cool and clever. I loved that. Um, also, like you said, on the extras, so you've got this whole thing about how it used to be a play. Um, and I loved being able to see some of the clips of the original stage production because it kind of, it seems like ostensibly you've got the same plot, right? It, it They didn't change the plot much, but um, they changed the details a little bit to kind of fix the setting more. Um, and it just made me just respect the film even more because, you know, they made it so cinematic um, and it is pretty much just set in this one clubhouse uh yeah during summer so to make just one location look so cinematic and cool and vibrant was just like yeah really impressive i thought yeah i think obviously that has to do with um with with budgets i mean it's very hard to make a time travel film without having a massive budget because when you're going back in time and you have different uh settings different uh costumes you know it can be very get very expensive um you know whether you're using cgi or not i mean it's not cheap so I think the whole point of of having this, like Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, um, these very concise time travel films that allow for it to be done relatively cheaply, and also it allows for, like you said, the paradoxes to be less apparent. Um, you know, I think if you start doing like like hundreds of years and and this and that, and 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 you do this big scale, it's very hard to make it accurate. And, and uh, yeah, as I mentioned, he's quite like this. This this he wants to make it as accurate as possible. So by having just you know, with Beyond the Own for the two minutes is just two minutes time loop, and with this is just one day time loop. You know, it's uh, it's it allows it to to not have those errors that you'd find in in uh in something that, that, that travels a lot further through time. Exactly. So yeah, without doing spoilers, then the the, the basic premise of the plot is there's um so a bunch of friends, and it's about five or six guys and two girls who just hang out in this clubhouse during the summer outside of school. Um, and yeah, just just mess around. They play like, you know, play games and they do photography and stuff like that. And one day, uh, a time machine just appears out of nowhere, <laughs> um, and they have the genius idea of going back to the previous day um, before they had this accident that ruined their air conditioning remote control, so they can have their air conditioning back and not be so hot for the summer which I just thought is so funny to think of like the endless possibilities of what you can do with time travel. And they were just like, let's make sure that this air conditioning unit works. Um, well, that's a charming point of the so film. Much. It's not like, you know, trying to save the world. It's like the air conditioner rem- remote broke and we need to fix it. So let's go back in time to fix the air conditioning remote. I mean, I think that's uh, it's something that is so small that it could never be thought about i think in hollywood because you know hollywood always tries to think big and uh this sort of like because uh ueda always tries to think like you know small and precise you know to have us like a charming idea that fits with that i think is is so is what really makes the film so so charming and as well as the cast are really really charming i mean ueno judy i mean at that time she was really one of the biggest uh names in japan but um I've always been a fan of her, especially her work at that time. Like Turtles are surprisingly fast swimmers is another one yeah. that, uh, like, she was so like always into the sort of like quirky um, Japanese comedies that were so great at that time. And uh, I think she's the best uh, from that 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 period. I really I 
always used to always used to be my famous my favorite my favorite uh, actress to be honest uh, from that time. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, she's so good in this. And yeah, you're right. I was thinking about how um, Ueda must have realized that what made this film so special was because how they played with such a tight time frame in in the sense of the the, the time travel. Um, and then he must have set himself a challenge of seeing if he'd get it even smaller. And that's where the Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes came from, by like messing around with an even smaller period of time. And, and obviously, the, it's the same, you know, it's keeping with that group of, of members, the Europe Kikaku. I mean, obviously, this was an issue. You have to, obviously, it's harder. I mean, just actually on the reverse side, like a play that deals with time travel is, is pretty pretty hard because, you know, time travel is such a cinematic experience. And having that, like, in a play, you know, you can't just, like, like tell the whole audience to, like, stop while we, like, change the set and, like, change everyone back mm. to, like, period costumes. I mean, it's not easy to do that in a play. And the, the way that they do that in a play is so interesting. And also the fact that some of the actors from the play are in the film, um, just just two of them, but they're also all, all you know, those same actors from the play are in Beyond the Inf- for two minutes, all of them. And in yeah. this film, he managed to sneak. Uh, actually, the um, the guy in the film who who comes uh, to the sci-fi club uh, with a with a mushroom haircut, uh, the sort of dork, uh, he's in Beyond the Inf for two minutes as the um, sort of police officer from the future that comes. And the I other, knew I police, recognized him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's it's fifteen years later. Uh, so, but he sees still a similar face, obviously. And uh, the other police officer from the future in the the on the for two minutes. Uh, there's two of them. Is the guy who plays who gets on the time machine first in the in the movie uh, Summertime Machine Blues, and he plays the same character um, as in the play. So mm-hmm. um, Nagano Munenori, he he was the character in the play that the the plays the the character that first goes back in the time uh, and. I mean, it's hardly a spoiler, but um, and yes, in the movie, he's he's also uh, taken on the same character. So it's uh, is that is that the guy who gets mistaken for a kappa? Yes, yes, that's him. Oh, uh, he he was my favorite by far. I, that whole se- sequence again won't go into it, but that whole sequence I thought was absolutely amazing. Just the style of how they directed it. Um, the timing, the pacing, how, like the payoff, it was so clever and so well done. But that guy, his performance, like you, you always say how Japanese tend to overact, mm. and that is definitely the case here. There's a lot of overacting, but it's done in such a, a like you said, a cute and um, charming way that uh, it just all adds to it. Well, I think because he's he's playing the role of a of a, a, a early... Um, 2020s you know in in first or second year of university so uh you know he's got that sort of spirit uh uh of being you know very energetic and i think it does sort of suit suit the role uh quite well i mean they're all sort of like uh pure i think uh you know i think that's one thing that also that the japanese films can do is make these like um coming of age films that are like of people in their 20s, uh, you know, in universe or, or not 20s, uh, late teens, early 20s, you know, they're in their first uh, few years of university. Because if you think about Westerners, like you don't have like coming of age films when you're like in high in in uh, in in university because you've already come of age and you, sure. you, you're usually doing adult things. But Japanese uh, are so, uh, I guess, uh, are a lot more naive to uh the experiences of the the world, uh, should I say, and uh, those sort of like university films where they're like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, like 
you know, because remember in Japan, you can't drink until, remember, uh, you can't drink until you're 20 in Japan uh, and you won't. Right. I mean, um, you know, I think in the West, obviously, even in America, obviously you can't drink till you're 21, but everybody's drunk before. But Japanese <laughs> yeah. are so, are so rule abiding that like, even like, I've got a friend who's like a, he's like a, a psychobilly. He's like proper crazy punk and his parents are psychobillies. And you look at him and he's like proper all done up in his psychobilly and he's like crazy. And he's like, uh, we went out to like a, a restaurant and it was like, his, I think his birthday was like the week after. And it's like, you want to drink? No, no, no. I'm still 19. Like, you know, you know, I can't drink until I'm 20. And he's like psychobilly, like crazy punk, you know I mean? <laughs> it but, does seem <laughs> antithetical to the punk mentality. Exactly, like, exactly. No, but no, like, no. that's Japanese. Like, you know, whoever they are, they still like properly follow the rules. And, you know, I think that comes through a lot more when you watch these sort of films. They make their charm level is, is apparent because of the the sort of like na- naive uh, uh, nature of uh, youth there. Yeah, I mean that you've hit on something there. That is another reason I think this film is so special. Is that there's a few different genres working here. Like I was actually going to say there's two, and it's the summer movie and the time travel movie. And they've kind of melded the two. But you're right. There's also like this coming of age teen film in the middle too. Um, and that they're all taken seriously. And by that, I mean that it's not just like, you know, if you get like a comedy horror film and it's mostly horror with a bit of comedy in it or something like that. But no, this is really genuinely funny. And it's also very much this teen summer movie. But then the, the time travel stuff is like airtight as well. Yeah, you um, can watch it like over and over again to get the for the time travel aspects of it, uh, like beyond the infinite two minutes, but more so because it's a bigger budget. Uh, I mean, I think it's really a film that that uh, you need to watch uh, over and over again to catch all the different time travel elements. But because it's so charming and all the aspects are so well made, you can watch it over and over again without getting bored of it either. A hundred percent. So I was looking through my third window films collection to see what other summer films you've kind of released. Um, and I was actually surprised by how many, I mean, they're not necessarily films about summer, but they definitely have summer as part of the plot. Um, so you've obviously got um, Takeshi Kitano's uh, Scene at the Sea um, and Kikijiro as well, um, a massive one. And then I thought about it, you know, Katsuhito Ishii's You've Got a Taste of Tea, mm. 100% a summer film, right? For sure, for sure. Um, and actually, uh, Jonathan Root messaged, and he was saying how Hiroko the Goblin um, is a summer film. And I laughed. I was like, I didn't think of it, but it is. It totally is. Um, even to a lesser degree, but um, Tetsuya Nakashima's Kamikaze Girls. Oh, yeah, I was going to bring that up as well. Um, yeah, because I think a lot of the uh, coming-of-age films, of which there are so many in Japan, take place during summer because it's, um, you know, kids in summer that's when they have their sort of first loves and, and that's where they also experience uh, a lot of the things that they do to do with their, their uh, passions or their hobbies, uh, like kamikaze girls. And, uh, you know, I think it's quite common. I mean, Fanuke is another one as well, for which is very much a, a, a yes. summer film. Uh, yeah, for sure. And then I got a bit sad because I remembered that at the start of this year, we were so excited for um, Soshi Masumoto's It's a Summer Film. Um, that was going to yeah. be your kind of double whammy for this summer. Um, yeah, it would have been apart, great. Uh, bloody Japanese. Uh, I mean, I had the deal for the film. It's just they want, they wouldn't allow for any extras to be used uh, for God knows what, what no reasons. I mean, it's such a pain to work with Japanese. I mean, uh, yes, I was speaking to somebody who who works for a major studio the, the other day and they were like, 
Yeah, we know. I mean, uh, that's the Japanese system. You have to get permission to use to, for anything, and one person can't give permission. So because of this uh, film committee system that they have, so even to use like a making of that is already on the Japanese DVD, you have to get permission from everybody within the film committee, who has to get permission from everybody within each one of the agencies, and it's like for fuck's sake like it's already out there on the on your your japanese release like why can't it be used overseas ah but that's a different permission like for fuck's sake you know uh <laughs> you know it's i mean what do you mean it's a fucking different permission? it's on a physical disc in japan like so what if somebody from overseas buys it from japan and then like i mean for fuck's sake i just just like when you get yeah. when you allow it to be used on a disc like just make that like a used to be used on any disc uh you know it's no no different uh but they don't really think about that, and, and at least these situations where, uh, yeah, films like It's a Summer film can't really get out there as much. Um, I mean, I guess I could release it without the extras, but it wouldn't be worth it. Well, I was just about to say that, right? So I'll, I'll be interested to find out. I'll put a poll up on Twitter and ask our our listeners how they feel about it. But I lo- I do love extras, of course, and whenever I first watch a film, I, as soon as the film's finished, I watch all the extras. But then I'll go back and watch the film multiple times, but I very, very rarely go back and watch the extras again. Um, so I don't think for me it would be a, uh, you know, killer for, for for you to release a, a disc without any extras. I don't know. Uh, to, to be honest, I, I don't think many people watch the extras anyway, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. And... But it's not about that. It's about the fact that, you know, we live in this world where anything can be easily downloaded, where films are, are 10,000 films are available for a month of a month on subscription for, for seven pounds or, or, or whatever. And, you know, buying a disc is not just buying a disc for the film. It's the value of paying 17, 18, 19 pounds for that disc is because it's like a, a sort of special edition of something that can't be uh, downloaded or, you know. So if it's just a film that's on a disc, then people will 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 digitally watch it because it doesn't really have the value element to it even if a disc nowadays is not in a special edition case then it's a lot harder to sell for example crazy thunder road was the only release of that film outside of japan in 40 years mm-hmm. and that film hasn't sold well at all because it was a standard edition release even though it had loads of extras you know i think people don't really if it's a limited edition even for a much smaller film uh People will want to buy it and, and hold on to it because of the because of the collectability of it, whether or not they watch even the film, let alone the extras. But I, mm. I, I think you know, if it's a film that, that doesn't have lots of extras and doesn't have a nice special uh, box set, it's it's hard. It's so hard, you know, nowadays to um to sell like even a thousand and a thousand is what's needed usually to break even, just to break even. So you know, like Crazy Thunder Road has only sold like seven hundred copies, uh, and that's because I think. Uh, it wasn't like a slipcase edition or something that would have uh, made people want to buy it and hold on to it, uh, uh, despite the fact that it had all these extras. So it's it's yes, I, you 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 put these 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 posts out on Twitter, and then the people that follow you that already agree with you anyway say yes, I'd buy it anyway. <laughs> but um, you know, when it comes down to it, yeah. and then they don't, uh, you know, there's so many releases of so many films out there, and there's there's only so much money you have personally, and you'd you'd rather buy something that is more collectible. Uh, for the future than than buy just like a, a a film only on a disc it's it's just it just won't work i mean as much as you can as people say they will uh, when it comes down to it it just won't yeah i hear what you're saying it is tough and obviously i'm talking like as someone who gets sent these films for free from you to to go talk about it so it's it's, it's i'm sitting here in a different position i don't know i just saw someone the other day i, I forget who it was but he was complaining he's basically said 
he's done with buying digitally now because he he bought a bunch of um jello films on apple and he went to to go watch one the other day and it was just gone um and this isn't something he rented you know this is he bought the digital version of a bunch of jello films and now they're just gone from apple and what what do you do you can't it's just gone so at least when you own the physical disc you own that film and you can watch it as long as you've got a player yeah as long as you also have the room i guess you know uh you know you can't really buy everything at the same time you know i think it's a lot of a it's a bit it's a bit big issue uh, with so many re- films uh, being given such so many special editions nowadays and people only having so much space in their house uh, and so much uh, capital to spend i think uh, yes it's, it's it's made it a lot harder to to think about what films to put out there and and um and yeah it's i don't know i mean it's always something that the changes uh, a lot more often than, than I, I it really should in theory well, there's a bunch of other summer films that came up. I mean, a few of our Twitter followers mentioned them, uh, like Jonathan Root I mentioned earlier and Vix. But, like, um, let me see. I haven't seen many of these, but have you seen um, Shinji Sumai's Typhoon Club? Yeah, for sure. And that's another one that I think everybody's always wanted on on, on, uh, on physical. And I believe it's like a... I mean, it's an ATG film and it's uh, Toho or something. So it's it's another one of these great Japanese films that is very hard to to get out there because of the, the studio on them. So that's a, that's pretty much a no then. You can't do that one. Yeah, it's too much uh, money and stress, uh, to be honest. What about uh, Shinobu Yaguchi's Water Boys or Swing Girls? Those are ones also that I I, uh, I love as summer films. I mean, uh, but um, I, I put in offers for them, but they're owned actually coincidentally by the same company that own summertime machine blues um but they're asking for a lot more money because these are uh, a lot more well-known films in japan and the director is a big time studio director and uh, you can't really explain to them that um well he may be big in japan but uh overseas he's not known because you haven't allowed his films to be released so i've i've offered for them but they they, they turned it down and uh yeah, uh, they're, they're great films. Uh, both of them are perfect. Like Summertime Machine Blues, uh, really fun summer, like cute, quirky, charming, uh, interesting entertainment films. But um, unfortunately, uh, like like everything else, I mean, Summertime Machine Blues is just because the producers were able to push on my behalf, but I don't have that connection to Yaguchi. Or even if I did, I think it's a bit different uh, than, than, than like Summertime Machine Blues. Right, okay. I mean, that one would be so perfect for a double bill, wouldn't it? Especially with the boys and girls kind of setting. Water boys, yeah, yeah, yeah. swing girls. Exactly, exactly. I mean, they're, they're made like that as well. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, have, you've not seen either of them? No, no, I haven't. They're great fun. I mean, uh, like perfect from that, that era of great sort of charming, quirky Japanese films like like Summertime Machine Blues. They're really good. But um, so yeah, studios, uh, that's how it is. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's only one more that I wanted to say. I have seen this one. I love it, and I just wondered if it's one if, if it was on your radar. But it's Yamashita Nobuhiro's Linda, Linda, Linda. Yeah, that that's also another one that the sales agent or the production company have a bit of a pain to work with. Uh, you know, I, another film that that obviously I, I'd, I'd love to release, and uh, because obviously I think to do with that band that came out recently that went viral, like uh, it's now made the film even more sort of. Uh, wanted and therefore more expensive and harder to get um and it was released obviously in the states before uh and not 
so it is a popular film, but it's just also an expensive film. Uh, you know, it's just really hard to, to work with Japanese companies. I mean, <laughs> yeah, actually, sure. the company, this company, the old Waterboys and Swingles, like I sent them like this scathing letter, like like you fucking idiots, like you know, do you think that if you keep on asking these amounts that nobody can pay for that they're going to become more and more valuable over time. Do you think like, if you just like, don't allow films to be released and they're going to become more valuable or less value, you know, I was asking for some UI Shinji films and they were like, yeah, UI Shinji films are masterpieces. And I'm like, well, if they're masterpieces, then why has nobody released them before? Like yeah. if they were such masterpieces then they would have been released many times over and over again, but they, they haven't been released. Like, Films like Swallowtail Butterfly, like we all know of it as a masterpiece, but it's never been released anywhere except for like Germany and and like Hong Kong and China. Like, you know, it's masterpieces, yes, and people have downloaded it and pirated it a lot, but it's never actually been released in many places. Uh, you know, and, and why is that? You know, uh, is it maybe because that you're asking too much money for it? Uh, but but you know, uh, yeah, it's it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like we talk about the same thing every single. Episode, yeah, we're gonna, we? we're gonna as well. Like as long as people keep on asking uh, for films that 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 I mean, are put put in the situation. I mean, these are all films that that I've tried to acquire myself, and they've just been too expensive. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, that's how it is. Uh, maybe I can find some films that aren't so expensive. <laughs> I'm sure you will. All right. Well, that, so th- we've done the summer film, and the other side of it is the time travel film. And um, one of the things I was thinking of is actually there's one guy i know that's done both um and it's an anime so you're gonna hate it but it's uh mamaru hosoda and so he did uh summer wars which i just it's one of my favorite films of all time i love that flick um and but he also did the girl who let through time ah yes um so and both of those are just fantastic and then obviously we got onto nobahiko obayashi now, I've not seen Obayashi's version yet, so I'm really excited. That's definitely included on your box set, isn't it? Yes, uh, that, that's uh, included with some interesting extras as well from uh, from the time of release. So, uh, yeah, I, I shall have a disc ready for you to check through <laughs> soon. I, I'm still oh, waiting awesome. for a few things. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun and short, and uh, it's a bit cheesy. I mean... Uh, you know, it's 80s Japanese film with an idol. Is, is, so even if you have that sort of Obayashi skill behind the camera, you know, like I think a lot of the films from that time were a bit uh, cheesy, but cheesy in a very fun, fun way. So um, it's not as, as like good as like something like uh, also in the disc is like school, school hair and the school in the crosshairs, which is like a little more crazy Obayashi closer to something like house. Uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's obviously i don't think the time travel works uh nearly as well as like ueda makoto films but uh what can you do sure so what what is on that one so you've got the girl who left free time the school in the crosshairs his motorbike her island and island closest to paradise oh, i think island closest to heaven nice i've not even heard of that fourth one it's very it's it's you couldn't really put it along with especially the first two, like if you think of Obayashi and having all that sort of like uh, crazy visual style, um, mm. it's closer to something like his motorbike or island in that respect, uh, but it's it's more of a sort of beautiful sort of like a love story uh, uh, with an idol in it. So it's maybe, I don't know, I think for the core Obayashi fans love it a lot more than like if people who'd watch house might like films like uh, school in the and the crosshairs a lot more uh, school hair and uh, school in the crosshairs yeah uh, more. <laughs> awesome well yeah that, i mean we'll look forward to that when it comes out in a few months right 
Yes, uh, um, I don't have a date yet, but um, hopefully I'll figure it out soon. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, with Summertime Machine Blues, like I said, because it, we, it is a summer film, it is a teen coming-of-age film, but the time travel and the sci-fi stuff is solid. And one of the things that I kept smiling about was like how it, it references so many like parts of popular culture. Like, I mean, Back to the Future, obviously, is like all the way through this film. Everything from... Um, there's this like clock that they keep mm. kind of having above the school, and it just kept reminding me of the, the 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 town hall clock tower, you know, in the in the Back to the Future film. Um, and also, they go to this cinema to go go see a B movie, and the guy who runs it is like this mega geek who's like dressed up like something out of Star Trek, and uh, he's like having fights with them about how time travel works in in cinema. Um, Yes, just really cool references like that. They just kept it quite interesting. And it did make me think, like, because beyond the infinite two minutes, every single time you watch it, you get a little bit more of the intricacy of what they're doing with with the theories behind it. And I actually think this one, whilst this is probably more accessible and a little less of a head scratcher than beyond the infinite two minutes, I think the more I watch it, the actual, the cleverer it's going to get. Because just like, yeah, you said how many times it could fall apart under its own kind of theories but it doesn't yeah i mean actually when you first watch it i don't think you would all really think about the complexities of time travel um at least that's what i felt when i when i first watched it the first few times i watched it, i just watched it as like this sort of fun back to the future type film and i never really like a film like beyond the infinite two minutes is structured in a way that you it makes you want to think more like a tenet type film it's it's uh got that complexity level to it where it forces you to really think about what's going on uh, and makes you want to really uh, delve a little deeper into the, the the complexities of the time travel. But this film, like, for me, it's got that time travel element, and, but I watch it just as like a sort of love story, coming of age, fun film. But if you mm. are really into the time travel aspect um, and you do watch it, with those eyes, I think it is very interesting because it is set up so so tightly uh, in mm-hmm. terms of all these paradox elements of time travel that, you know, it does allow you to watch it over and over again and really try to see if you can figure out the errors if there happen to be any, which uh, I don't think there are, to be honest. Um, uh, <laughs> I did try it, and think. I've, I've only seen it once so far. But, yeah, when he, he, he's up on the chalkboard and he's kind of explaining, if you're here and then you go back and then you change something there, it changes in the future. But if that future changes who you are as a person, then maybe, and, and I was like, right, you've lost me already. <laughs> um, but yeah, I kind of love that whole butterfly effect theory that, you know, you change one thing in one timeline and it could change everything in the future. Yeah, I, yeah. I also, I also kind of love the fact that in the future, like I think someone comes back from the year 2030 Um and it's like, yeah, it's the same as now, just a little dirtier. <laughs> and that's kind of cool as well. It's not like this future sci-fi Blade Runner thing. It's just like, yeah, no, we're the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that really is what, what sets it apart. Uh, you know, I think there's so many parts of this that make it so Japanese. And um, yes. that sort of simplicity uh, and that charming nature of it. Uh, like I said, if it had been something done in, in Hollywood, I don't think it could have they would even think about something of the small scale of, of just one day. And, uh, uh, and apparently, you know, the, the rights were initially sold for, for, um, 
uh, or optioned by by a company wanting to to remake it all, but it never actually came through. So maybe they thought it might have had potential overseas, but um, in the end, it didn't. So um, I huh. think it it is so typically Jap- Japanese, uh, you know, with the characters and and uh, that that sort of like cuteness to it all. Um, it's it's yeah, it's just very very. I think people who really like Japanese um culture and Japanese quirky films uh, like Kamikaze Girls, like all those sorts of films would just really love this film. And it's, I'm surprised that, uh, well, I know why it hasn't been released so far, but I hope that people do finally get into it. And, uh, and, and, and if they haven't seen it before, I, I can't wait to see um, people when they experience it for the first time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right, actually, because apart from the clubhouse, the, the only other major location in the film is the bathhouse. Mm. And that is so quintessentially Japanese. You can't really put that anywhere else and have it make sense. Um, and the scenes in that bathhouse are so funny. And again, it's got that thing where you you watch the introduction. And in fact, this is not so much like Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. This is more like um, One Cut of the Dead, where you watch the first 15, 20 minutes and you kind of see these bits that don't make sense. And you're kind of like, "What? why is that happening? I don't understand that. And then, of course, when the reveals come later, you're like, that is so clever. Mm. Um, it's awesome. It's just these constant moments where you're like, oh, there's another one. Oh, there's another one. Um, yeah, I just loved it. All right, man. Well, look, so you, we mentioned the, the, the extras earlier. So you've got an interview with uh, Ueda Makoto himself, um, which is really cool. It just gives a bit of background on the kind of origins of the film. And like you said, how it was kind of transferred from the stage to, to screen. Um, but you also had these two short films on the release as well. Um, yeah. What's the story yeah, I mean, behind them? So initially I, I asked for, he, he's made a bunch of these sort of uh, time travel for short films, him and Europe Kikaku, including uh, uh, Yamaguchi Junta, the director of, of Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes, they made a bunch, including one that was actually shot at Hollywood, who are the producers of the Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. It's a small cinema in Shimokitazawa in Tokyo. And that is where the cinema where I made the interview with with, with, with Ueda Makoto for this release. And I really wanted to use that, but like it was it's actually available on YouTube for free. So I thought, uh, well, it shouldn't be a problem to um, put on a disc. But they, were, they said because like an idol's in it, uh, you know, it makes it like, the, uh, the again, like everything else, like, you know, you have to get all these permissions yeah. and it's going to become complicated and expensive. And I said, why should it be expensive? You can watch it for free on YouTube. Yeah, said, you can well, pirate it now. <laughs> yeah, you can, anybody can watch it for free. Um, but no, yeah. uh, it's not as simple as that. So uh, in the end, I, I the only ones I could get two films that... Um, he allowed me to use, of which he directed them, actually. Uh, uh, one is very, very, like, his sort of geek time travel thing, where it's basically just one camera in one position for the whole time, with another guy on the other side talking about sort of time travel. And it's only yeah. about five minutes long, but it's quite interesting, uh, you know, uh, about the more for the, the time travel geeks. And the other one is with um, uh, Nagano Murenori, who was the... Um, Play who was in Summertime Machine Blues and also Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes and it's a time travel uh, sort of uh, love story type thing about a guy who's trying to impress a girl by going back in time and learning things uh, about what to do in on a date or something <laughs> like that. It's uh, it's done as as one shot and it's quite quite well done uh, and that's uh, a really interesting 
uh, short film. It's about 15 minutes uh, also, also on the disc. So you have two, these two short films as well as the uh, play and film comparison and the interview with him. So I think it's, uh, it's quite a good disc uh, for people who want to buy uh, physical media. It's got loads of stuff that um, is not available anywhere else in the world and uh, for a film that has never been available on physical media outside of Japan. So um, I think it's, uh, it's a, a must-buy as, 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 as I hope. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but what I was going to say, what mentioned was, so both of those shorts, they're done in single takes. As you mm. said, one is only five minutes and the other one's about 15. But they're both really cool. Um, and obviously Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes was made to look like it was all single take, although we know now that it was just very clever half an hour takes. 10 um, minutes, 10 minutes. Oh, 10 minutes, sorry. Um, edited together. Um, and yeah, obviously the the single take gimmick does kind of add to it in a way um because it makes you think about time you know in in relative terms a bit more mm. but what this film proved to me was that if the story is solid you don't even need that gimmick you don't need to make things harder for yourself you know you can make it very entertaining just just as a normal film yeah and if the story i mean i was sitting on on a, on a interview with with Ueda yesterday just just uh for, for, for Neo magazine, so it'll be out uh, in print relatively soon. And uh, he was also talking about the fact that, the, the, you know, with his scripts, they're so structured and tight that he feels that actually any director could make them into a good film. Like, it's like, you know, of course, he, he's saying that the director has their choices on the way that direct actors and the use of cameras and angles and all that. But the script that he has prepared is so tight that... <laughs> whatever director is there, like it will turn out the same way. Like, right. uh, so I think, yes, it does really come down to how well he built, he builds, uh, if, as, as you were to say, like with a programmer, these scripts, um, you know, it's really, he's got really a lot of talent, uh, for sure. And, and whether it's, it's a single take or, or it's, um, a film like, uh, like summertime machine blues, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a script that, that, that makes it what it is. Sure. Has he got any other plays that, he's thinking of adapting do you know no i don't i, I saw one of his plays that was um in the, on stage uh, a couple of months ago which was set in um you know in hong kong they had those buildings that was like um i think they tore it down it was, it's like it was just like rooms on top of rooms on top of rooms like uh i think time, Coffin time homes. And, yeah well they, well they were all like that but um you know there was a very famous um like uh Dance uh, uh, projects. I think in Time and Tide, they've got they've got the scene where they're 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 shooting outside the window, sliding down all these. Um, uh, if you saw yeah, a photo yeah, yeah. of it, you know. But like it's sort of, sort of like this like government housing complex that was been around for ages, and they they finally tore it down. It was just like proper coffin homes. Like, uh, and he made this play about set in there. And it it wasn't time travel or anything. I did have a, oh, I did have time travel. I believe at the end. Of it. I, I forgot, but uh, it was set like in these like in the chaos of um, of that uh, government housing projects in 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 Hong Kong. And uh, I think Kowloon. I think it was. It's a it's a location, but I can't remember for sure. But um, yeah, th uh, that was really interesting. And actually, what they do is they do film all the plays, um, and they then put them out on DVD. Um, okay. So so a lot of his. All, most of all of their plays, including the original Summertime Machine Blues in Japan, is um is available on on DVD. Um, but whether they, it's adapting, uh, I don't know. Um, but actually, the they are making a a a new film, uh, which is going to be shot 
early next year that they'll be only in for two minutes uh, members. So him is writing the screenplay and, and uh, Yamaguchi Junta, the director of Beyond, is, is is directing. And it's the same crew as before. And it's also going to be a time travel film. So um, next year we, we have this new uh, film from theirs, an original time travel film that will probably be at a bigger scale than Beyond in for two minutes. So that's something to look forward to. Awesome. Are you not going to get involved uh, as a producer or anything like that? Not as a producer, but I'm, I'm involved as a uh, uh, world sales uh, and festivals uh, uh, head. So um, I, I'm already uh, connected to the, the project. But, nice. Um, that must be cool to be involved in that before production starts, right? Because a lot of what you do is is get the rights for films after they've been made and try and release them globally. So being involved beforehand must be a different beast. Well, but but at the same time, you know, I'm uh, in this role. It's not like I will have much to say in terms of the uh, actual film's production or, or post-production. Maybe a little bit, but uh, I will be able to help uh, make it a little more uh, Western Western-minded, I guess, in terms of the way that they want to sell it overseas. So uh, we'll see. I mean, um, I work with them a, a lot, uh, the, the, the the Hollywood and Ueda uh, Makoto. So it's they're all quite quite easy and, and nice to work with. Nice. Well, yeah, great. Um, I don't know what else to say about it, really. Like I said, normally we go really deep into the story, um, but I really don't want to spoil this one because there's so much fun to be had. And like I said, I don't think many people would have seen this as it's been out for 15-odd years but never released in the UK. Yeah, it's been pirated a lot because the original Japanese DVD came with English subtitles and therefore that allowed it to be pirated oh. uh, and put out there. So I think a lot of people have seen it, but um, yeah, actually owning the, the, the Blu-ray with all these extras, um, hopefully they'll want to go and uh, actually buy the release. Uh, I think it's a really good release. And, and yeah, it's, it's such a, I think it is a good film that people could blind buy um, more over some of the other recent releases, maybe a lot more than, than something like Zoki. So um, I, I do hope that people blind buy it and, uh, and enjoy it, uh, especially, you know, summer has started and uh, it's the perfect film for summer. Man, honestly, yeah. First off, it, it's the most fun I've had all month watching films. And I'll know that I've basically just watched Kinji Fukasaku all month. <laughs> so uh, it was a refreshing kind of change of pace. But yeah, it's just such a funny, fun film. But also you just kind of triggered me there. Like the the film looks incredible. I don't know if you did like a new transfer for the Blu-ray or anything, but like it looks amazing. It's so beautifully like colorized and high def and i was um i was surprised how well shot it was um well that's Motohiro yeah, just, that's a that's a big name director for you i mean that's the, the the thing that he really brought along is making how to make a stylish entertaining studio film i mean uh you know that that's very important uh, uh in, in this and yeah, yeah it is a beautifully like colorful film uh you know, it really captures that. I, I I don't know. Maybe if you ever do come to Japan in the summer, you know, whenever you watch those Japanese summer films, you have that sort of like wave the of heat. Lines. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, you know, it really is like that. If you're in if you're in Japan in the summer, like you do feel like a bit uh, like things are a bit wavy because like the, the heat is just pretty unbearable. Um, right. The humidity is is something that you that is the big difference I think between like somewhere I mean London obviously or UK doesn't get to uh, these sort of temperatures but that sort of dry heat versus versus humid humidity that is the real killer the, the, in in Japan like uh, I wouldn't recommend coming here at all in the summer because it's just humid as hell. 
<laughs> When's the perfect time then to come to Tokyo? Perfect time is usually October, um, around end of October, uh, where it's or beginning of November, before it's got cold anywhere and when it's still quite warm but not hot and not rainy either. So uh, like uh, April, May, you can get caught in the rains a lot and uh, summer is just pretty hot. So, And then winter can get cold here and there. So uh, yeah, it's uh, October, November is usually the best. Oh man, I just yeah, we didn't even talk about Snake of June, which is technically a summer film. <laughs> yes, uh, very blue, blue, uh, very very hot blue film. Awesome. Well, there you go. Um, this is going to be released July fourth, I believe, right? Yes. Um, there's currently a uh, pre-release special price, I think, at Terracotta Distribution. Um, so I'll put a direct link to that in the podcast description so people want to buy it before it comes out they can pre-order there at a slightly discounted rate um but yeah if like i said if, if you're into one cut of the dead and beyond the infinite two minutes and if you like japanese like teen comedy films like like you said kamikaze girls and all of that you're gonna love this standard i think so Hope so, so you mentioned at, at the start you mentioned we've got no release again next month Yes, uh, we don't really have. I've got nothing planned at all until I figure out the release dates of um, of uh, the Obayashi set. Uh, because initially, Suicide Club was supposed to be in. Um, or at least I was. It's a summer film. Was thought of as being July, and then Suicide Club was supposed to be August. But uh, you know, that's a bit of issues here and there, and, and therefore <laughs> maybe not until um, September for. Uh, the next release of the Obayashi set, uh, if, if I can get it done in time. So uh, we will have to figure out some other th things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, well, it gives us a good opportunity to get a bit more creative in what we talk about. And it also gives us the opportunity to bring in super secret guests. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. But, yeah, um, I don't know. Anything else to add? No, I'm I'm getting pretty hot in this uh, in this room, so uh, I think uh, we we should let well, let me let me let me lose. Thank you for not playing football or going on a half marathon before recording this. We do appreciate it. I I, I do what I can. Great. Well, yeah. If you're not following Adam yet, uh, he's on Twitter as at Third Window and on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, everywhere else as at Third Window Films. And you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd as at BenjiBox. That's BenjiBox spelt with a Y. Great. Well, thank you for listening. And we will catch you next time on the third Window Films podcast. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third Window from the right The third window from the right Two flights up That's the one with the shade pulled down That's the one 